We are continuing to march through the minor prophets, and we are in the book of Obadiah today. Obadiah, I'm willing to bet you've never heard a sermon on the book of Obadiah before. Uh, If you want to pull out your phones or grab a Bible in your pew, you can use the index. It's a really small book, hard to find. Obadiah, right there in the minor prophets. Turn there. This is a this is an interesting day. This, this is a day we don't often get. It affords us the opportunity to read and study an entire book of the Bible in one sermon. Obadiah only has 21 verses. So we can do the whole thing right now. Very, very short book. Um, I'm going to read it kind of in pieces and talk about it as we go. It's a, a book written out of a vision this man Obadiah has. Obadiah is, just means servant of God. And it's a book of judgment upon the Edomites. The nation of Edom was a little nation. Uh, if you look at Israel, you get the Jordan River connecting the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. On the east side of the Jordan River was this nation of Edom. The people are descendants of Esau. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? The son of Isaac, sons of Isaac and Rebekah. She has twin boys. They fought in her womb. So they're constantly sort of fighting from the get-go. The story goes, they're fighting. And then Esau is born first. He is born with a whole bunch of hair. Uh, in fact, I had a professor in seminary who had a big dog, big shaggy dog named Esau. It was a great dog name. So Esau is born first. And uh, he becomes the hunter, sort of the favor of his father. But born right after him, actually born grabbing onto his heel uh, to come out of the womb, is Jacob. And uh, he stays at home. He does not go out and hunt. And he is mama's boy. He is Rebecca's favorite. He ends up tricking his brother Esau to give up his birthright for a bowl of soup, if you go back and read the story. Uh, Jacob is a, is a swindler. He is not a good guy. Eventually, he wrestles with God uh, and uh, is changed, and his name becomes Israel. And so uh, sometimes Israel is even called Jacob because they're both names of this man. Esau's people, so he ends up getting the birthright. Jacob ends up getting the birthright. He ends up becoming the nation. Um, But Esau is also blessed, and he lives on the other side of the Jordan River, and his people become the nation of Edom. And they end up making a treaty with Israel. And then when the countries are split, eventually with Israel and with Judah. In 586 BC, Judah and Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire just wrecked them. I mean, just took things out, uh, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And Edom, when all the carnage was over, despite their covenant to help and support Judah, came in and pillaged the land. Came in and took whatever they wanted. In fact, the text implies they didn't just take what they wanted or needed. They took everything. Looted whole homes. And when they found people that had survived the Babylonians, which were uh, exiles or which were running away, um, they caught them and traded them as slaves. So this letter is a letter of judgment upon Edom. But when you peel back the layers, it's a little more than that. There's some really great theology, some really great questions that Obadiah is answering about how the world works. 
Now, as I read this, and we're, again, I'm going to read this in sections, but pay attention to the contrast. Uh, Obadiah is a book of contrast. Edom is sets itself high, but God brings Edom down. Edom violates the covenant with Judah, and the allies of Edom are going to violate their coven, covenant with them. The Mount of Esau is contrasted against the Mount of Zion. So there's this constant sort of back and forth of contrasts in there. Um, so pay attention to it as we go through. So Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has, sent, has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle. Though your nest is set among the stars. From there I will bring you down declares the Lord. Pride. Obadiah associates this, this cruel act of this people with pride. How often when we try to think about evil things that we see done, do we think as the cause of that pride? This devastating thing that's happened in Orlando, this cruel shooting that took place, how many of us this week have spent time thinking, how could this happen? What could lead to something like this? What, what kind of world do we live in when this happens? Anybody else thinking these kind of thoughts? You try to make sense of something like September 11th, like these kind of shootings and, and bombings around the world. How could it come to this? What happened? But it's not very often that we think of pride as an answer. We don't often think of pride as part of the problem. But I think Obadiah may be on to something. When he looks at this nation and says, your pride, the pride of your heart has deceived you. That they thought they could sit back in the safety of their homes and the safety of the rocks and get away with whatever happened. Pride that only your opinion matters. Pride that only what you think matters. Pride that only you matter and that people don't matter. Pride that you can take things into your own hands and do them. That you can be judge, jury, executioner of others that you disagree with. Pride that God will not see the evil that you do. I think Obadiah is on to something. I think pride is a big deal. I think for a lot of us, there's a lot of pride. Pride that we, our opinion matters and other opinions don't matter. We seem to live in a nation that's full of this kind of pride. Is there no way for us to disagree with somebody and not be a jerk about it? I'm convinced we are in a country right now where I don't know how to do that anymore. You have to not just disagree with somebody. It has to be personal. It has to be an attack all the time. Pride. But you understand I, what I, Obadiah is saying. If this pride is in your heart, 
Who will bring us down? You can get to the point where you think you can do and say anything to anybody because your cause is right and just. I think Obadiah's assessment of why this happened is pretty accurate. It's something we should pay attention to. Can I not like something you're doing and not shoot you for it, literally or figuratively? I don't know in our world right now. Verse 5. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. What's he saying? You didn't just take the stuff you needed. You took everything. You got greedy. You had to take it all. You had to have it all. You had to steal from your brother and seize the opportunity. And the the proclamation here is that your allies are going to turn against you. This is the problem with being untrustworthy. This is the problem with being so prideful that you think you can take what you want. Because as soon as the people around you, if you're untrustworthy, you can't keep trust people, trustworthy people around you. Have you noticed that? People who are untrustworthy tend to hang with people who are untrustworthy. And then you get betrayed the second your opinion is not the one they want or the, the moment they can get something from you. They'll sell you out in a heartbeat. Obadiah says, if you're going to be this kind of friend to Israel, what do you think is going to happen to you? It's going to happen to you too? Because that's the kind of company you keep. Verse 8. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter destroyed your wise men. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about how knowledge puffs up. That this is part of the problem. When we think we have all the answers and we think we know everything, we get a big head. That's, that's the image that Paul uses. You get puffed up. You get a big head. You think you're really wise for doing this, Edom. But you are not. You start to think you're mighty. Start to think you got away with something. See, Christians, Christians have this weird thing about power. We like power. We like power and authority. But I think the way of Jesus is never a way of authority. Never a way of having all the right answers. Never a way of being mighty. Never a way of thinking we're all wise and have all the answers. The way of Jesus is a way of humility. Humility. That I don't have all the answers. That not everything I say or do is right. 
my, uh, my professor um, told, us, told us a couple weeks ago for my doctor of ministry, he said uh, he had a professor in seminary who told them in their theology, he said, look, 70 to 80% of my theology is right. About 20 to 30% of my theology is wrong. And the problem is I don't know which is which. So he said, as you listen to me teach, you got to realize I'm wrong on some of this stuff and you need to wrestle it out for yourself. That kind of humility is important for Christians. And I'm not sure I see enough of it in the church today. I don't, I don't mean that Christians have to be pushovers. Okay? I think you need to be strong where you're strong, where you have convictions. But be humble and open-handed where you're not quite sure. And let God do work. Don't try to gather all the power. Let God do the work. My professor has a door to his office. He bought this door. It's a ship door. And so it's too small. You know, ship doors, they've got little uh, ledges on the bottom and the top. So if you get water, it doesn't move from room to room. And he got this door because what he wanted to do was have to bend over and step up at the same time to get into his office. He wanted to have to do that because he said that's the position of Christians. A sort of a humble courage. That we as Christians need to always be bowing our head, but always be stepping up into what God has for us to do. I worry that we as Christians do too much stepping up and not enough bowing our head. And I think Edom is like that. They seize the opportunity, but not in humility and not being led by God. Verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Stop. When you stand by and do nothing for something that you see happen, you're part of it. That's the biblical mandate here. You can't just sit by and do nothing when people are hurting around you. You cannot do that. You are obligated to do something. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over their disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over survivors in the days of distress. Edom was really cruel here. And God is not going to put up with it. And Edom is going to get it back in turn. Now there's a really important distinction we need to make here. There are a lot of Christians that believe fundamentally in, in what in other faiths is called karma. The idea that what goes around comes around. If you do good, good comes your way. You do bad, bad comes your way. Everybody listen to me. That is not a Christian doctrine. Not a Christian doctrine. Uh, you read the Bible, you're going to find plenty of really good people that really bad stuff happens to. And plenty of bad people that God has good stuff happen to anyway. What goes around, comes around, doesn't always work in this life. Uh, It just doesn't. 
In fact, the very heart of our faith is the gospel. And that says that, that Jesus gets what we deserve and we get what Jesus deserves. Grace is the opposite of karma. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you do not deserve. Karma is not a Christian doctrine. This is not a book about karma that it's going to come back to. But this is a book about the lordship of God. That you know what? You may think you got away with this, Edom. But God did not miss this. God does not miss the evil. God does not miss the cruelty. God does not miss the brokenness in this world. And the promise of Obadiah is that God will do something about it, delayed though it may be. He continues. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. <clears throat> your deeds shall return on your head. For as you have drunk on the holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. We're back to this prophetic theme of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is the day that they foresee coming where God is going to make all things right. Where the world is finally going to act like it should have the whole time. That God really is Lord of all. And we live in this weird time where the day of the Lord has begun. It's pretty clear in some of the New Testament imagery that in Jesus this day starts, but it hasn't totally been fulfilled yet. In theology, we call that now and not yet. It's a kingdom, it's a day that started, but it hasn't happened in its full power and potency yet. The judgment of Edom, Edom did happen. In the 5th century, they were forced from their land. They had to move into Judah, and eventually they were forced to just join Israel. And they were forced to sort of become part of Israel. And so this happened. Everything that was in Edom became part of Israel in the 5th century. Verse 19. Those of Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of their hosts of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad. It's not easy for me to say these either. Shall possess the cities of Negev. Saviors shall go up to the Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Edom, uh, Obadiah does not end with good news for Edom. But it is good news for the Lord. It is good news for the Lord's people. And it ends, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Everybody say that. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Say it again. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Write that down somewhere in your house, somewhere at work where you're feeling a lot of pain and stress. Who gets the kingdom in the end? The Lord. 
The kingdom shall be the Lord. That's the hope we hang on to. That wrongs will not be forgotten. That hurts will not go unsoothed. That broken hearts will not remain torn. That evil will not be forgotten. That the day that was begun on Jesus' death and resurrection from the cross will be completed someday. And we live in between the victory and the culmination of that victory. And in fact, we are the people called to spread that good news. We can't do it based on pride or we're going to end up a lot like Edom. We can't do it based on our own authority. We can't do it with, without a sense of humility and trust in God. But that is who we are called to be. That is who we are called to be. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the victory won at the cross. We thank you for your love and for your grace that we don't get what we deserve. May we learn from these harsh words for Edom from the prophet Obadiah. And may we live differently in our world today. In Jesus' name. Amen.